So the NHL, there's a couple things that you could argue that NHL has botched and messed up in the past. Um, the Olympics, for example, we can argue one way or the other on that. There's other things here and there. It's the only league that we've seen that's had complete uh, shutdown of the season. Um, well, not complete. I mean, base, Major League Baseball had uh, no World Series uh, in 94 or 95. I'm drawing a blank on the year. But um, one thing that always perplexes me each year just with hockey is how difficult it is for fans and everyone to watch preseason hockey. It's I know we make such a big deal about they have the whole the big deal. Is it October yet? And we get ready for the season and everything like that. And but they make it so hard for people to track down and watch preseason hockey. It's for example the Stars game last night against the Blues. It was the Stars have done nothing with preseason coverage. They haven't done any radio or television broadcasts. Um, and last night the Blues actually streamed the game. But it was only on Fox Sports Go, and you had to have a Fox Sports Midwest subscription to do it. It's 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 just it's baffling to me how you have preseason games are so difficult for people to track down and watch. When on the flip side, you have the NBA, you can watch summer league games, I believe, on YouTube or something like that, or even or just watch them all in length. It's a, it it's it's, the, it's something that, and I know that it bothers fans just as much because I get stars last two preseason games have been on the road and I know people have been asking to watch them and it's frustrating to me just to just to try and, and, and point out to people there's not really a good answer you got to listen to a radio feed from a from a home broadcaster and it's just it's baffling to me that how the NHL doesn't how poorly they how they don't make the NHL preseason games easy for people to watch because you're trying to build excitement leading into your sport. It's the first time. I mean, you're telling me that people in Montreal wouldn't have wanted to. You wouldn't have gotten some angry people in Montreal viewing the Stars' first preseason game when Radulov played on a line with Ben and Sagan. Just, it's that's my frustration today. True, but you know, you can also play devil's advocate with that—that that it's a product of supply and demand. And just because 25 people asked about where's the Stars game, that doesn't mean that there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who want to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to, like, what I get, I get, I completely understand the point you're making, but in just blank devil's advocate, I, for one, don't really give much of a shit about preseason. I don't give a shit about preseason anything because the preseason is stupid and I get why it's there, but it's, I don't care. And so I feel like there's just, there's a lot more people with that mentality and at least from a league perspective or from a star's perspective or whatever, it's not really worth kind of logistically trying to figure out all this stuff to appease like 500 people. You know what I mean? And I know and 500 people league wide is a disgustingly gross understatement on my part, but you know what I mean? It's just because we see 10, 15 people asking where they can watch the game. That's not really that many people in the grand scheme of things. It's okay. I understand people don't. Okay, and here's here's a system. I, I have an ideal system that could work in theory. I guess just the NHL. You don't both. If, if you want, if you want to put, if you want to do a road broadcast, fine. I don't. I don't want the NHL. You don't have to force every team to do a road broadcast, but you should be for the people who are willing to spend the money on NHL TV or an NHL game center, whatever it's called, the people, the group, that group of people that are putting their money down to say, I want to watch as much hockey as possible. That group of people. Okay. You should have, because of that, the NHL should have each home team doing a feed 
um, doing a feed from their home games. I don't care. I mean, even the broadcast, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, if, okay, the Stars didn't send their broadcaster, didn't have do a broadcast from Colorado or St. Louis, that's fine. But the Blues feed should have been in it within the NHL Game Center or NHL TV. Basically, something that's in there where you're catering to that audience that's putting their money down to actually watch as much hockey as possible. Is that fair? Like, I, th- I think it, and you're only asking for teams to handle it from their home side, and some of them are already doing their radio broadcast. A lot of them are doing their radio broadcast any- or broadcasting all the games anyway. You could just figure something out to work out that way. I'm not a genius, and I don't know exactly how to make it work, but I just would like to see something like that. Well, see, in this day and age of... You have satellite packages with 6,000 TV channels. I don't see why it would be difficult for you to throw two camera guys at the game and have them shoot the game, and you don't even need to have a broadcast go along with it or, or you know, like commentary go along with it. If you really wanted to, you could just throw video of the game out there. Also, on the flip side, we're talking about the preseason's a good opportunity for young players to show their stuff. What would it, I mean, and this is all, like like I said, I don't know the logistics that go on behind the scenes when it comes to setting stuff up like this for the preseason and how much more of a hassle it would be to set something up as opposed to not setting anything up in terms of broadcasting. How cool would it be to give, like, young, like, college kids in the area who are with their, I, like, assuming, let's just say the only college radio sports organization I know is Bowling Green, but so say, like, you know, for or down down in dead here down in down in Dallas. Say you go to the SMU journalism, right? Show. And you have a couple of those guys who can go and call preseason games. You know what I mean? Like that would be kind of a cool, like some. It doesn't even have to be an internship program. It's just something like you know you have you give them guidance and whatnot, and you let them go out and call a game. I think that would be kind of cool. It would be a nice way to kind of outreach with the community, provide nice professional opportunities for kids who are trying to get into the industry. I, and I mean, this is just me spitballing right now, but I think like, it, cause you know, I mean like, like straighter and razor aren't going to want to call a preseason game. No one wants to call a preseason game because no one cares. You got to learn a bunch of names who aren't going to be there once the regular season starts. And it, it it's one of those things. It's, it's like, it'd be like watching a baseball game that's 17 to nothing in the fifth inning. And the announcers are talking about, pizza toppings and stuff like that where it's, it's just like there's no I, I mean you would have points to go on and talk about storylines and stuff but it, it just it would be it'd be like alphabet soup basically I would think so I mean I don't know I, I, I disagree with that I think there's a lot I think sometimes I think there's more storylines almost from an individual team standpoint in preseason games than there are in the regular season I think there's just there's how many other times do you have break? Do you go through the lineup and break things down and look at individual storylines? Like once on opening night, yes, there's individual storylines with each game, but the but the ultimate moral of the story is one team's trying to win, one trying team's trying to lose. I mean, it's kind of, it's I like I mean personally, just because I cover the sport, it's I like the pre, watching the preseason for the storylines of okay, I'm gonna see how this individual guy does and his. Uh, and is, is he going to have a chance to make the team? How's he going to look with this group? I, I, I think there's still a lot to talk about uh, in those storylines. It's not nearly as bad as a 17 nothing baseball game. I do understand the pronunciation thing, and I understand there might be some myths here and there because of some guys, but there's still storylines to talk about. I, I would just like to see... I'm not saying it has to be actually televised, but like televised like on Fox Sports Southwest or Fox Sports, whatever the regional network is in the respective team's market, but... 
make it accessible on Fox Sports Go or make it accessible on the for the people that are paying for NHL Game Center. Just make it accessible. Just the fact it, it shouldn't be there shouldn't be the frustration where you've got you do have any part of the fan base who say who's trying to get excited and get ready for the season is then is having to do is having to uh, reach is having to try and dig and find information and listen to opposing radio feeds. You should try and you should cultivate something to get people to t- to help those people who are kind of more your diehard fans, in my opinion, because those are the people who are watching preseason. But that's 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 my take on it. I don't have opinions on it because I wouldn't watch anyway. I don't have I wouldn't have a way to watch anyway. So I mean I don't really care. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's yeah. like it's because it, you know it's it's one of those things that. You're like you're not going to throw a Stars Prison game on Fox Sports Southwest because there's other programming options that people are going to watch. Um, like you could run a rerun a Big Buck Hunter that's going to draw better ratings than a Stars preseason game. I I disagree with that, but the I I'm not saying that put it on the preseason game because I know I know Fox Sports Southwest carries the Rangers and the Rangers are I think they lost last night so that they're getting closer uh, more or less they're officially out sooner or later, but I. Put you have all the options we have now. Whether and, and and I know part of it comes down to television rights. It just I want there to be a solution where you can actually watch these games because you're trying to build up the season. You're trying to build fandom. And if if heck if you can get a if people will watch if if you have football fans who will watch the Hall of Fame game, which is terrible football, you should be able to serve hockey fans even if it's just them having to go to a stream or something like that. But make it accessible so yeah okay i I don't have an opinion one way or the other it's not something that it's one of those things that it's like if it doesn't affect you why care about it and it doesn't affect me so i'm not like i don't get i'm not going to get bent out of shape either way on it i'm just playing devil's advocate i know i know all right let's uh let's actually talk about some things from training cramp camp okay I can't even talk today. Let's start the intro. You are listening to the Wrong Side of the Red Line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Okay, it's Sunday, September 24th. And Matthias Janmark's knee looks really good. I'll just come out firing that way since I know that's been the common question on Twitter from people. Um, and you know what? This may be one of the best stories, one of the NHL's best stories that league-wide isn't getting attention yet, but it's going to be fun to track from the beginning here in Dallas because he's coming back from a uh, genetic knee disorder that most people probably can't pronounce. I can't pronounce. There's a reason I'm not saying it on the podcast. Um, and that probably 90% of the po- 90% of the population doesn't even know exists. And he's looked really good. I've tweeted out his, his preseason stats from the other night. It's two goals, two assists, five shots on goal. It's plus four, something. He's averaging around 19, just under 19 minutes per game in two games. He's got uh, he's going to extend the power play and penalty kill time, and he is uh, he's even got 67% on his limited faceoffs. One times he stepped in to take faceoffs after a guy's been thrown out, which happens all the time in this preseason right now. 
Is this is this potentially one of the best stories in the NHL this season, Ryan? I think that if he uh, progresses, continues progressing the way he has, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, you talk about. I mean, this is getting way ahead of ourselves now. But you talk about the Masterton trophies usually saved for guys like Yulia last year, Craig Anderson, guys who persevered with more off ice stuff going on in their life. Um, but assuming we don't. I mean, it's obviously a feel-good story, and I, I would say that if we don't have anything similar to that quantity come up this year, then he would be a prime candidate for that. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was dealing with a potentially career-threatening and life-altering injury, and he looks like he did two years ago. So that's that's obviously an encouraging sign, and obviously it's something that has to be you know taken day by day so we don't get too far ahead of ourselves here because you don't never really know how that his status is going to change on a day-to-day basis. But uh, so far it looks pretty solid. It's now, I think we also have to, to gauge. I mean, one thing it's, we need do need to slightly gauge expectations too, because it's not, uh, he is not going to, uh, there's no way he's going to, he's gotten two, a goal and an assist in every game. There's no way he's going to play, 82 games and have that output. He's not going to go out and have 164 points this year or whatever it is. But we are starting to see, I, th- I think we're starting to see that second line, and it could be technically a third line depending on how things are stacked up once Hansel gets back in the lineup. But we're starting to see, we all kind of felt like Ben Sagan, Radulov was going to be a line. I think we're starting to see a line here that we're going to start seeing on opening night in uh where you're going to have Yanmark, Spezza, and Richie, and they looked very good last night against St. Louis. Um, Yanmark and Spezza have really good chemistry going back to two seasons ago, and uh, and Richie adds a really nice. I like the element Richie adds to that line with two kind of creative guys. Uh, Yanmark brings a really nice speed game to his element, and Richie brings that kind of that nice physical presence guy um, who. You don't have to ask Spezza and Yanmark to be the guys to go battle in front of the net. That can be more of Richie's role. That could be. That's a line that I think people on a national stage will look at and might just see Spezza and only think about him as the offensive presence on that line. But that's a group that that could be a very dangerous second line, especially in a world where they're getting they're not ever facing the top competition because you've got either because you've got Ben Sagan and Radulov often taking the draws against the other team's best players, and or Martin Hansel, the Martin Hansel line, whichever that is, taking draws against the other team's best players when the Stars are trying to match up that way. That's a line that could have ideal matchups all year and could do a lot of damage. Right, and we're not talking about a line here where you look at like the Blackhawks, for example, when they split Taves and Kane, and you kind of have to pick your poison with who you're going to shut down. This is a situation where pretty much on a nightly basis, the Ben, the Ben Sagan Radulov line is going to be facing the other team's top competition. So even if you look at this Spencer line as playing really well, I mean, unless we're within a game and they're completely on fire, I don't ever see a situation where the opposing coach is going to say, well, crap, I got to do what I can to shut these guys down. You basically, your mentality as a coach is going to be, I'm going to shut down, try to shut down the Ben line. And if someone else beats me, then well, that's, tough tomatoes that's kind of what you're you're basically saying as an opposing coach is you're going to let you're not going to let that top line beat you and i i'm really interested to see 
what Matias Janmark can be as a player because we're talking about a guy who's still entering his prime. He's not, we're not, it's not like we're talking about a guy who's in his late twenties, he's in the middle of his prime, who's kind of reached what he can be as a player. I mean, his, I, it, it's kind of, I feel like it kind of gets lost in the shuffle that this is only his second full NHL season because, I mean, we've been talking about him forever now. And he's only, he's only 24. Too. Yeah. He, he turns 25, uh, I think December. So, I mean, he's right in that zone where you're talking about a guy starting to enter his prime. And I mean, he had, 29 points as a rookie playing not necessarily exclusively second line minutes. So, I mean, he's starting to grow into a role and I think it's, I think it kind of speaks to, and I get it's preseason and you're, it's more time for experimenting than anything, but I think it speaks to how the coaching staff feels about him as a player that they're using him in both special team situations and not just one or the other, because he's a guy who he's, I mean, you talk about, a guy who can add to the penalty kill, but he's also a guy who can not only help the penalty kill from a keeping goals out percentage, but I mean, his speed and his creativity with the puck is potentially lethal going the other way. So it's, it, it's going to add an extra element to this team this year. And I think I'm I, it, as excited as I am to see all the new additions that came to this team this year. He's kind of a new addition too, in the sense that, I mean, he wasn't around last year. So it's like you made another trade to acquire another player. I'm really excited to see how he grows and kind of what he can be this year. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. It's, um, I think the one thing that's really interesting about him on the power play, and it's it's, it's I'm going to combine two things that people one combine two things that people don't like and people do like the drop pass. People don't like him. TSN Mark. People like talking about. If you think of a guy right now, especially if Spezza is on the first power play unit, if they decide to roll that way, Matias Yanmark with his speed and creativity is a perfect candidate to be that guy to handle the drop pass on the second power play unit as the guy to bring the puck in and, and start establishing the zone and, and start setting things up for you. He is a he's a smart player, and it's I also like how uh, it's also it's also been fun to cover too because. I think the uh, we forget how he's been refreshingly honest about it too, which is something that you sometimes don't see with guys just coming back from injury, obviously, or many hockey players in general, or many professional athletes in general. He's been refreshingly honest about how, in the like for example, in the first preseason game, he says first first uh, first period was a bit just the first it was the first one, didn't really know how he was going to make it through, but then the knee felt even better in the second, even in the third. So it just adds an element too where we're getting some pretty nice insight too to actually how he's actually feeling and how things are actually working for the knee and how he and how things have been going and um and I like that the stars have also I think it's important to remember the stars have also committed themselves to being um to being careful at the same time they held him out of the practice they held him out of practice the day before the pre- first preseason game uh Ian Mark and Hitchcock have both talked about from time to time just making sure he gets a day off here and there to make sure he's not uh getting overworked or anything like that um but it's uh it's a good story <laughs> I didn't really add to the point there I just kind of rambled no it's a it is a good I mean it is a good story so I'm He's not, he wasn't a guy who was really a lethal offensive producer in Sweden, but I mean, he was definitely, 
I, I mean, just based on his numbers, he was a guy who was good at secondary scoring, which is all he needs to be on this team. He doesn't need to be a guy who goes out and puts up an 80-point season. If he come, uh, comes in and he just I, – I mean, I don't even want to put a point number on it, but, I mean, if as long as – because I feel like obviously you want secondary scoring, but if he's a guy who can come out on a nightly basis and just be dangerous, I think that's – I mean, with everything else that the Stars have added this offseason, I think that's going to be enough to make that second line really good. Yeah. And and I think, uh, just going back to a point I kind of brought up earlier, we talked about Ben Sagan-Radulov getting the, the first line of things. You also have the Hansel line that creates an element of unlocking that group even more because you can put Martin... When you're on the road and you need a defensive zone face-off and you do defensive zone face-off late or you need to... to uh, create to to match things up where you can have you can have Hansel play against the Sidney Crosby's of the world for example just you can have him play against the Sidney Crosby's of the world you can have him play against the the Taves or the Kane line in Chicago if that's setting up you may even have the Yanmark Spezza line playing against the third line on many nights which that's as while they may be you could probably match them as even second or third line in our heads here but that's that's a better third line that's a matchup you should win on when nine, eh, I don't say ninety percent of the time, but it's a matchup you should win way more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have anything really to add to that. I mean, it's, you can tell I'm talkative today. The other, I mean, the other thing I'm trying to figure, think of something where it's a similar. I've been, I've still been struggling to kind of find a similar story in recent history because every other young player who misses a season comes back things like that who comes back from a freak injury stuff like that we have a past history of some someone else going through it the thing with the anmark still is just the dynamic of we don't and we've yet to find in my research we've yet to find anyone else in the nhl who's dealt with this it's not like even when even when nemeth dealt with getting his uh basically his wrist his uh his tendon and his wrist cut ironically enough by rj umberger who's in camp with the stars that's actually a same injury that mike madano had interestingly enough cut by rj umberger's i think morrow had that a couple yeah but it was madano but it was madano had it too and interestingly enough the same player that cut the tendon in 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 madano's arm that was also uh rj umberger interestingly (laughs) enough now um, that I know all the wrist tendons, when shit like that happens, I'm going to be like, somebody ask what tendon it was. I need to know. Yeah. I don't know all the wrist tendons, but <laughs> we don't we do, we don't have a history with Ian Mark's injury. And so that just adds another wrinkle to this where he becomes a test case for this on the same time. Can somebody come back from this? And we don't even know if anyone will ever deal with this in the NHL in the future. I'm just, there's tons of human beings in the world and lots of NHL players, so somebody will probably eventually. But... We don't know when this will be. Uh, when this will be. Uh, when we'll ever see anyone else go through this. I am gonna Google this and see if there's actually any evidence of any professional athlete ever dealing with this because I don't know that there. I had never until Yanmar. I'd never even heard of it. I mean, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna dig. I'm gonna see what I can find. Yeah, let's. Uh... I'll let you dig into that, but let's move on to something else here. Um, um, 
an interesting development out of training camp that's been a surprise um, to us, and I think a little bit to everybody. Um, and he's he's been he's been really good in practice. Uh, he's actually been good. In, he's actually been good in practice. I didn't think he was good in the one preseason game, but Jamie Alexiak has really impressed the coaching staff. And the one of the th- one of the things about Alexiak is we kind of assumed. I think all of us had him written off as the guy who was fighting for that seventh spot or. God forbid, even the eighth spot if the stars were to carry eighth, and he was a guy who wouldn't be in the night, uh, in in the uh, on the roster on opening night, and now he's been had very limited viewing of the game last night, but he was apparently very good again last night. Um, and uh, Ken Hitchcock has talked about him being a guy who not only is may win a job, may win a job on that right side. Um, which is probably actually the only side he actually could win a job on, just if you think about how things were supposed to shake out with the veterans and, and the guys on the left. And he's talked about him in the conversation as being one of his top four. And I actually think Jamie Alexiak could be very good under Ken Hitchcock. I think it's one of those things where he could take his game to another level. I think he could take really improve under Rick Wilson. It's just... Uh, it's just been surprising to see because we had, I think, there was this status quo that we had in mind that's being shaken up. Um, and the fallout is what's going to happen. Who's who's going to be the guy left out? Because, and we discussed this last week, where who knows, maybe even maybe even Stephen Johns could be the one on the outside looking in. Who knows? Yeah, I have kind of been following along with that and it's interesting to say the least um i don't know what to make of it because you know i mean we did kind of broach last week the the possibility of something like this happening but now it kind of seems like it's not necessarily coming to fruition but it's becoming it went from being a a thought experiment to hey maybe there's some some clout to this so um i am interested to see i mean at the same time i also feel like it, it can almost be sort of a like a psychological ploy to probably pump up alexiak's value maybe a little bit just in case that he is the guy that gets traded so i mean i don't really know what to make of it okay so going back real quick this isn't i don't think i i just found this and i don't know if this was confirmed or not and maybe i'll see if this is confirmed this is on Yenmark, right? Yes. Um, okay. I'll have to look. I'll have to do some digging and see if this is actually what it was. But there's an article on Bleacher Report where a doctor is basically speculating that Andrew Bynum's career ended because he had undiagnosed OCD. And that's and not, osteochondritis dissecans, not obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's, I don't I'm going to have to look and see if this is actually it. But uh, at least in Bynum's case, I don't think it was. By the, by the time that he had missed a bunch of time with knee injuries. I don't know if it was ever, ever diagnosed. So in Yanmark's case, the fact that it was caught early and there was not, perhaps maybe is not, not as much cartilage or bone loss that is good. In, in the case of Bynum, there was, because your cartilage doesn't grow back. Mm-hmm. So if you lose your cartilage, you're screwed, basically. You're, you have, it's basically a given that at some point in your life, you're going to need your knee replaced. So 
Um, I'm going to do some digging later. And by later, I mean probably next weekend after I get all this midterm crap out of my life. So keep an eye out for that, I guess. Yeah, we'll have... Uh, back to the defense. Yeah, back back to the defense and Jamie Alexiak. Um, it's... And if he's the best option, I have no problem. I mean, that's that's a... That, of course, you, you want the best. You want to put the best team on the ice. It's interesting. It, it is interesting to see if, if, if Jamie Alexiak can be... If Jamie Lexington can be the player the Stars hoped he was when you drafted him, you'd be you'd be thrilled with that. If 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 he can actually evolve into the player that the Stars drafted in the first round, and um, I, th- I think people would be thrilled with that. There's just the I think the the worry and the caution about Alexiak and the the Twitter vitriol about him being even being in consideration is people are having a hard time seeing past him prove what the past couple seasons have been and that's and that's why he was even I admit it myself I was one of the people who didn't think he'd make this team because of that so um I also to go quick to your point I don't think I don't think Hitch Hitch can play mind games but I don't think Hitch is doing this to pump Alexiak's value because I think other GMs know Hitch plays mind games I don't think I don't think I don't think Hitch is doing. Uh, he, he's not. He's not doing it to. Jim, if Jim Nill was saying this, maybe Jim Nill's saying it to pump value. But if anything, Hitch is. If 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 there's a mind game here with Alexiak, and I really don't think it's a mind game. I think he's legitimately impre- impressed with Alexiak, and you can agree with Hitch or not. I think if there's a mind game here, it's a it's a message being sent to the other players. It's a message being sent to Stephen Johns. It's a message being sent to Julius Honka, to Greg Pattern, to Patrick Nemeth, telling them that, hey, you need to, you need this other guy's winning the opportunity from you. I, I, I don't think it's a trade ploy because people know that uh, if, if 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 Jim Nill was saying this, fine maybe, but I don't think Ken Hitchcock's job is to boost up. Jamie likes to trade value. His job is to make his team as best as possible. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that. I, so I don't, I have no idea, man. This is, and it's one of those things that I get why there's vitriol towards Alexiak because to this point he's been a bust. But I mean, we saw it last year. His goal in St. Louis. There's talent in that frame somewhere. So I mean, it's it's not like we're talking about. You know, just a, a rando that they invited to camp who's playing really well, and it's like, oh my god, they're going to keep this guy over Stephen Johns or blah blah blah. It, it he's a good player, so I, or he can be a good player. Well, either either or, I don't really know at this point, but I'm interested to see how this plays out because it seems like it's actually a thing that's happening now, and not just a wild fantasy in our podcast minds. Well, I, I mean, based on Hitchcock's comments, and there's still three preseason games left, I'd be more surprised right now to see Jamie Lexiak not in the opening night roster. I mean, that's 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 the reality we're at now. I don't know how a guy goes through half of the preseason and has been excellent and has been one of the excellent in the coach's mind and has been, according to the coaching staff, one of the best defenders, how he's not in the... I don't. I don't see what can happen in the next week to knock him out. Now that's that's the other thing that you think about it. Like, I'm not sure. So, who's on the outside looking in? So if we start playing a game of who's in, who's out. If Alexiak's in, just 
just in this hypothetical, Alexia Kazinin has won a spot. And no one's officially won a spot yet, but just with based on what he's done so far, if he's won a spot, obviously Mark Mathot's in. Um, Mark Mathot is in, obviously. John Klingberg is obviously in. Uh, Essa Lindell is in because uh, um, Essa, Essa Lindell is in. That's four right there. So say five is say five is Dan Hamhus. And I, and I have another point to get to in a second because another maybe a theory on something. Say five is Dan Hamhus. And then uh, six is uh, either is six Stephen Johns, is six Julius Anka. Um, now, Hitchcock has also spoken about he wants his third pairing guys to be specialists more, more or less, basically. Guys who your top two, your top four are playing more bigger five-on-five five minutes and your third pairing are going to get some more of their minutes as a... Uh, as 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 special as shorthanded power as shorthanded and power play guys one each not both of them not being, not saying like uh, like that group will roll out together on the power play that group like so for example say the third pairing is uh, Ham Houston Honka they'll get maybe their 10 12 minutes a night five on five but Honka will get three to four minutes on the power play while Ham Houston will get three to four minutes shorthanded that's that's what he means by specialist does that make sense yeah yeah I would so. Say so. So is that is it is his if if that's your if we have your five and it's between Honka and Johns, with what, how do you keep? Doesn't Honka make this team better? If if you have to pick, I'm not saying I'm not asking you to pick between Alexiak, Johns, and Honka. If you're picking between Honka and Johns, doesn't Honka make the team better because of what he can do and make your power play better? Absolutely. I and I mean I feel like. A week ago, we were talking about it was a given that Julius Honka was making this team, so I'm not really sure how we got to this point that maybe he's not making the team now because I feel like if you have Julius Honka as your seven or you send him down to the AHL, then you're just you're wasting him. You know what I mean? I don't I don't understand why. Like I get if Jamie Alexiak is playing well, that and he earns a roster spot or a place in the lineup or whatever, but I don't understand how. Like, if you look at the three of Johns, Alexiak, and Honka, two of those guys are pretty much the same player. And one of those guys is has the potential to be an explosive defenseman in the NHL. It kind of seems to me like a no-brainer which guy is in the lineup. You know? So, I... Man, I, I'm confused now. I am very confused. Well, my gut says Honka's going to be in, and so the question becomes, is, does that mean Johns is the one who's out? Because... Um... Because he's, because that's that that could be an interesting. Because he's a guy who, yes, they protected him in the expansion draft, but they protected him in the expansion draft, and we talked about this before. That was asset management, knowing that was one of the guys Vegas would take. So that's why he was protecting the expansion draft. Um, the uh, I mean, we've gotten to the other interesting theory, and this was first thrown out there by Mike Heike, and uh, I. It would surprise. I've come around on the idea because the idea surprised me initially. If, if you remember back to Ken Hitchcock's introductory pre, introductory press conference, he had a group of leaders at the press conference, and that included uh, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, and Dan Hamhus. Uh, Dan Hamhus, you think veteran guy, he's going to be on your left side. Work probably work well with Honka, as I mentioned before. He's also a UFA at the end of this season. Has he has Alexiak's play pushed it to a spot where Jim Nill tries to trade Dan Hamhus in the next two weeks? 
See, I don't know if I would go that far, but that's also a process that I could see happening. Because and, and this it goes back to the last trade deadline where I was convinced that they were going or I wasn't convinced, I convinced myself that they were trading Dan Hughes because He's a guy whose shelf life is the end of this season on this team. They're not bringing him back next year. I, I mean, unless he comes out and wins the Norris Trophy, which he's not going to, he's not coming back to this team next year just because there's no reason to bring him back. You have guys coming up that can replace him in the lineup. But, I mean, I, see, that's it, it's tough because it goes back to a point that I know we've discussed on this podcast before. Do you go with the veteran guy who you know you're going to get, who you know what you're going to get out of him, or do you go with the kind of young guy who hasn't really proven anything at this level but has been playing well and you feel like he can be a contributor? I see it's, it's a, this is why I'm glad I'm not a GM because it's a difficult balancing act that I don't know how to make because it's one of those things that you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't because if you trade Dan Hughes, you probably get a lot more for him than you would for Patrick Nemeth or Jamie Alexiak right now. But if you do that and Alexiak sucks, then, oh, why'd you do that? That was stupid. But if you keep Dan Hughes and you let Alexiak go for quarters on the dollar, and he goes out and he turns into a pretty good NHL defenseman, it's like, wow, you guys can't evaluate your players. Why'd you let him go? It, it, so it's it's really, at this point, it's, Really, the only way it's a win situation is if the guy he trades falls off the cliff and the guy he keeps stays really playing really well. I, I think, actually, if basically it's the guy you keep playing really well, you don't even need the guy to fall off the cliff because you could trade Dan Hamhuis and Dan Hamhuis could play well. And then you would just look at it as, well, they were going to lose Dan Hamhuis for nothing because he wasn't going to be back next season as UFA either way. Right. Um, I mean... So, like, I, I look at it, where I'm not sure how you make the numbers work exactly. But, like, so, Dan Hamhuis is, he's got a 15-team no-trade list. He gets a, is a modified no-trade clause, 15-team trade no-trade list. And he's, he's making $3.75 million this year. Um, the Stars actually have a little bit of, you can make a move. So, with his 15-team no-trade list, you're not trading him to a crap team. He's going to a, he's going to, you'd have to trade him to a team that has legitimate playoff aspirations, Correct. Assuming, I would say so. Assuming that with fifth, I mean, either that or there's or some other, uh, but basically, fifteen. So if we just for in theory say okay, we take take only the teams that are likely playoff teams are the ones that are contenders. Stars actually, you could even retain. So for example, I look at the Washington Capitals. Just think about the Washington Capitals defense. They have Yerky Yokopaka on a PTO in camp right now. Their defense is, I think, of, of their defense, basically it's five guys who are pretty much set, right? Between, I think it's Niskanen, Orpik, Orlov, Carlson, and Taylor Chorney. Is he their 50? I but like, think so. Hold on. Uh, Niskanen, Orpik, Orlov, Carlson, Chorney. Yeah, and those are the only five guys that they have on NHL deals right now. Okay, so say Wash. Let's just use Washington for this example. Um, Washington, I believe, has projected cap space around two point five million, something around there. Accurate. Okay, I'm glad I'm 
hitting these numbers right. Ham Hughes makes 3.75. This is a, is a cap hit of 3.75 this year. Stars could retain salary. And you could, they could retain salary in, in a deal because they have, they'd be, you could retain salary in a deal to Washington. And you could get, do you have, do you have Washington's cap friendly page up? I do. I don't, does, I'm not sure exactly what picks Washington has, but you could get picks or prospects for some pretty nice picks or prospects for Ham from Ham Hughes, for Ham Hughes. And you could probably even sweeten the pot more by retaining salary to make the deal work for Washington, since they need you to make about a million dollars disappear off his salary for them to uh, stay under. Yeah, at this point right now, um, with their they have two point five seven six million in cap space, but that is with only twelve forwards, five defensemen, and two goaltenders. So they're it, it's a situation where I think the Stars would have to retain half of Ham Hughes' salary, which would. Which would, um, I mean, it would probably improve your return a little bit, but they, I, and see, it's, it, I would say that they would have to take a contract too, but I don't know who, what contract they'd be taking. So I don't think they're going to want to trade. I mean, you look at, well, I, I mean, looking me at their, like, like I look at it and I think a deal that actually works financially well for both teams is Ham Hughes trade. The stars basically need to move a body, right? Yes. And if you believe that, and if you believe that Alexiak and the group they have are good enough without Ham Hughes, you actually save cap space by retaining cap space. You by by help by taking because the stars are right up against the cap right now. Um, three points. If you're at three point seven five, if you could even you retain say you retain one point seven five of it, you're still gain. You're still you're saving about two million dollars in cap space by trading Dan Ham Hughes. Washington needs you to do that to make the deal happen. This is a deal that theoretically, financially, would actually work both ways. And you could try and I believe that I believe I believe Washington got a second round pick from Florida last year, so Washington's got some extra picks. Maybe you could have uh, you you could I don't know if you get a first, but you could try and get a couple seconds maybe. Or I and th- I just picked a random team here who I knew was looking at PTO defensemen. That's why I picked them. Um, but in their team, it's a scenario like that. Open, could open things up for the Stars, and you're getting more for Dan Hamhuis than you would ever get with him just walking away as a free agent on July 1st next year. See, in that same vein, I could also see them flipping Alexiak to Washington because if you're operating, because then there he only needs to be, a, I mean, he, here you he only be a third-pair guy, but there I mean, you get a third-pair guy for cheap even if you retain some of his salary to make that work too. So, I mean, I think that that would be the team that, would, that you'd want to target, but I... I just, I've, I just don't see how, I don't see them trading Hamhus though because it just the message it kind of sends, and that might be me looking for a message that's not there. But you're talking about with the moves they made in the offseason going all in, and then you trade who the guy who we kind of assumed coming into the offseason or coming into the season would be their one of their second pairing defensemen, and whether or not he's actually one of their six best defensemen is. I, I get you can make a debate about it, but I just just the message it sends, I think, is not the message you want to send if you're Jim Mill. Unless you're sending the message that, you know, if you come in and you earn your playing time a la Jamie Alexiak, then we're going to reward you for it by getting you in the lineup. But I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not good at this is why I was never good in any of my literature classes, because I'm not good at finding meaning in things. 
but it makes your team better. But but, but that's the you... thing is I don't know if it makes your team better. If you, if we it's I don't know how to. I'm sure there's analytics that can measure the impact of it, but I don't know. I'm not sit as we sit here today. I'm not ready to really say that Jamie Lexiak's supposed improvement would make him him being in the lineup over Dan Hammies would make this team this team better. You know what I mean? I'm not ready to say that yet. Okay, I'll give you that, but I'll, 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 okay, I'll let you, I'll let you go with that. Like I can see a, I can, like I can totally, I can buy that being a thing that kind of, like if we were sitting here and Jamie Alexiak is the seventh defenseman hypothetically coming out of camp, and then he suddenly throughout the year starting to play more because he's better than Dan Hamus, I, I could buy that as happening. I just, as we sit here today, I'm not ready to make that leap. I can't believe I'm. I can't. I mean, I I can't believe I'm saying it after just what my expectation coming in. But having keeping an kept an open mind on things. If you have a coach, who if you if you indeed and they do have a coach who wants to stick with his six, and he wants to say, you know what, I want Jamie Alexiak in my six. I want you to trade Dan Hamhuis. You got to do it. Like it's. I, I just. It's. I don't know. That's true. Like it's. I just. I mean, if he wants, and. And the other thing too, if you're telling me, okay, if, if Ken Hitchcock is saying to Jim Neal, hey, you know what, Jimmy Lexiak is in, he's in my top four, he's playing. Now, you can either trade Dan Hamhuis, or you can waive Julius Honka. What do you do? Not waive, sorry, you don't have to waive Julius. I was going to say, and by waive, you need to send down. Yeah, yeah, just send down. If you can, you can either trade Dan Hamhuis, or you can keep Julius Honka on the roster. Which one do you do? I'm probably keeping Honka. See, just it, because. It, yeah. Yeah. See, it 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 just starts becoming the plain the one game or the other where it, it's we're we're not we're not looking you you have to start comparing okay, is it this guy or this guy is it this guy or this guy and as I go through the lineup I want Julius Honka in the lineup I want to see as Honka play as much as he can I want Honka to be to quarterback that second power play and it's it, 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 that that's how I'm starting to compare things in my mind because I know I'm starting to. I'm just, I'm starting to accept and realize that you've got your top four. You're starting to see who the top four are and, and, and who Hitch and Rick Wilson believe the top four are. And so then we have to start comparing one to the other. And Patrick Nemeth never wins the argument. Greg Patterson never wins the argument of one versus the other. But Julius Honka wins against everyone in my mind. Julius Honka is the guy, if I've got my top four, and we're including the bottom five right now, which is crazy to think about for an NHL team that's halfway through training camp. But Julius Honka wins that argument every time if he's the guy who I want on my team. Um, Dan Hamhuis versus Steven Johns even becomes interesting in your head. Do you want Steven Dan Hamhuis? Do you want Steven Johns? Well, I don't know. That's that becomes that that also starts to shake things up. But I, it was an idea that I thought was a bit crazy when I first heard it. But the more I think about it. You trade John. You trade uh, not John. Sorry. You trade. You trade Hamhuis, and it could make your team better by not by subtraction because I think Dan Hamhuis had an impact on this team and some of the young guys, but just by what it does to open up and allow Honka to stay in and take about take away some of the strife that allows the young guys to to run and roll and prove that all of that over ripening you did is actually paid off. Now you said that you're starting to see who they're leaning towards their top four as. And I apologize if you said this already, because I kind of got lost in looking at knee injuries for a second. But based on what you've seen so far, who would those four be? 
I think Alexiak's starting to win that top four job. Like, not just, we're not talking about just a bottom six top, I mean, not sorry, a five six role for Alexiak. I think he's starting to win that top four job. He is, your top three are, are, are obvious, right? Mathot, Lindell, and Klingberg. And mm-hmm. I think the way that Hitchcock wants to construct his defensive roster, he's looking at Julius Hanka or Steven Johns as that sixth guy and specialist, as the guy who can be power play or power play penalty kill, five on five, uh, not play as much five on five, but play, but be, make an impact in that way. And Alexiak is, I think Alexiak has, has played his way into that top four right now. And that's, and that's what you can, it's, and you can argue, you can argue what you want based from, I think the first preseason game, I thought he was not very good. But he's been good in practice. He's been he's been good in practice, which is hard to. He's been good in practice. Um, but and uh, he was good last night against St. Louis. He's also gotten much better as camp went along. He wasn't very good in training camp down in Cedar Park to start. I thought on the first couple of days, but he has gotten better as the day as, as it's progressed. Um, You're talking about Honka. No, Alexiak. Alexiak. I'm talking about Alexiak, just for where my own personal opinion, just outside viewing. The coaching staff has said he's been excellent for 10 days, and he's looked really good. Um, and I guess for 10 days would take us all the way back to the 14th, which was right before the start of training camp. So all of training camp, coaching staff has said he's looked excellent. And for me, if I was, I would say he's looked very good for the past seven or eight days. I just thought he was kind of okay to start in Cedar Park, and I thought he didn't have a good first preseason game, but... He was very good last night against St. Louis. Um, he had a shutout. He had five minutes on the penalty. He had five minutes shorthanded, and they were perfect on the penalty kill. When's the last time the Stars have been perfect on the penalty kill? <laughs> now. Never. Exactly. So, um, I think, I mean, Alexiak is playing his way into that top four consideration. I mean, it's still a top three in his mind. It's still a top three. It's still a top three. Matha, Lindell, Klingberg. But. Alexiak has made a case just as much as anyone else to be one of that, to be that, that guy who's in the top four, who's getting 20, 21, 22 minutes a night. That is interesting for sure. So, um, and we'll, I mean, we're going to, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to track how they handle the defense pairs and see how guys work. Uh, Cause they play back to back on Monday, Tuesday, um, and I don't think many you don't you won't play many guys back to back preseason games, but so it'll be interesting to see. We should see all of these defensemen getting getting a run uh, at it uh, either against Colorado on Monday or Minnesota on Tuesday. So that'll be something really interesting to watch in person and track closely. Um, another guy who I want to we haven't even talked about yet, and I can't believe we made it this far in in, in the podcast without talking about him is uh, and we've talked about him before. And we've liked him before as a player, but uh, Rope Hints, who has been very, the numbers game is still, it's still kind of, it's one of those where you still figure out, okay, who's on their way out if he's in, but he's another guy who has played his way into NHL consideration. And, um, and I think you and I have both touched on this before where, uh, he may, as a high-end skill guy who could be a call-up, he'd be great. And I still think that's the best role for Hintz. Um, I don't know if you're ready to put him in in an, in an NHL opening night roster yet, but he's certainly accelerated the timeline from... I, I think we've talked about him each week since Traverse City, and each week he's accelerated the timeline further and further. 
Yeah, I'd say that I agree that he's not necessarily going to make the team just because I personally don't. I want him playing 20 minutes a night in the AHL and not seven minutes a night in the NHL. But whereas at the end of last season, we were talking about him is, hey, maybe he's a guy if worst case scenario hits and 10 guys get injured that you call him up towards the end of the season and see what he can do. Now, I think that we're in a situation where if there's an extended injury that he could be the guy that's up on this team as early as immediately, really. He could, I think he's put himself in a position to be among the first call-ups this year. Yeah. And, and it's, it's I just with where he's been playing, too, um, he's, they've been having him play in the middle, and I have a... Uh, I don't have a. Uh, I just don't. I don't see how the numbers work for him to play on this team as a center, especially with. Once again, we kind of get the mixed messages on stuff like that. Where, um, I mean, a couple weeks ago we were talking about uh, a week ago we were talking about uh, Hansel and Foxa playing together on the same line, and then on Friday Hitchcock says he considers his centers to be Sagan, Spezza, Foxa, and Hansel. So, who? <laughs> I mean, things change. I think he's and, screwing with you guys. You're not the only one that thinks that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's. But I. Hints has been. Uh, Hints has been very good. He scored a goal the other night in the loss. He's one of the. He was one of their best players when they lost to Colorado, and he's turning into a nice player. Um, all of the uh, the other th- other guys we've talked about because we don't know. It's starting to look more and more difficult for. He was going to have the opportunity, and we talked about it before about him having the opportunity. But I also don't see how R.J. Umberger makes this team anymore because there was always Hitch was always going to give him a chance. He was a Hitch guy. He played the way Hitch likes, but. He has not acquitted himself in either preseason game well. He hasn't done those things where it's been... He hasn't done those things where he has gone through and made and, and made enough of an impact to say, you know what, this guy makes my team better. Remy Alley could do the same thing right now. And Remy Alley is already under contract and cheap, and I think, I'd like to think that's where your GM would step in and say, hey, Ken, I don't care if he's your guy. We have this young kid who can do the exact same thing. Yeah, it goes back to what we talked about last week, showing kind of, not necessarily showing loyalty to your own guys, but not doubling up on, not having redundancy in your lineup. If, at this point, RJ Umber, I feel like, would just be a waste of a contract that can be given to, not that they're going to give a, go out and sign a guy, an undrafted, you know, Canadian Hockey League guy right now, but I mean, I'd rather have the opportunity to do that in the future as opposed to give a contract to R.J. Umberger for him to be a swing AHL, NHL 14th guy. And I haven't got to ask R.J. gotten to ask R.J. Umberger this question yet because I haven't, we haven't uh, broached the subject yet, but if you're R.J. Umberger, we might even touch this on the pod. We might have touched on this on the podcast before, so I apologize if we talked about it before, but what if R.J. Umberger is actually going the Ryan Malone route where he's just trying to if he makes the team, great. But you know what? He's willing to sign an AHL deal somewhere and play for uh, and, and, and play for Team USA in the Olympics. That's possible. That is because, very possible. Because I mean, 
the pickings are slim for Team USA. Both Canada and Team USA, the, the pickings are kind of uh, are kind of slim for since the NHL NHL players aren't going. Um, it was recently announced that draft eligible prospects won't be going. Um, Seriously? And, yeah, draft eligible prospects. Team USA will not be taking draft eligible prospects. So, okay, draft eligible prospects. Does that but does that rule out guys that are playing college who've already been drafted? Uh, no, it doesn't. So, like, hypothetically, Jake Ottinger could be Team USA's goalie, in theory. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, because... So, let me... I mean, this is going down another rabbit hole, but... So, guys who are ruled out, what, to my understanding, is NHL guys, AHL guys on NHL contracts, and draft-eligible prospects. Or is it also AHL guys on AHL contracts? Or is that up to the discretion of the teams? Um, say that one more time. <laughs> So it's we said AHL guys, but is that just AHL guys who have who are on NHL contracts, or um, can AH, AHL guys AH, on AHL only contracts go? AHL only contracted players can go to the Olympics. Okay, so I mean, if you're looking at Team USA and Canada, you're looking at because there's not really the cream of the crop playing overseas, American Canadian wise. You have like Zach Boychuk and I don't even know who else. It might end honestly. They might just end up taking the World Junior Team to the Olympics, if we're being honest. Yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun from a star's perspective to see uh, to see uh, to Jake Ottinger playing in the Olympic Games because that'd be cool. Um, the uh, the countries that have a better, I mean, the KHL should not the K, not Team KHL, the, Ru- the Russian, Russia and Sweden. Um, and the the Finns the Finns and the the Finns and the Swedes have a decent team. Um, I mean, we see we saw the Swedes did a World Championships last year. Granted, they won't have a goalie as good as Henrik Lundqvist, but they should have a decent. They have a decent enough team uh, coming out of the SHL. Um, the you also have uh, from a Stars perspective. I wouldn't be surprised if Miro Heiskanen makes uh, the Finnish team just out of just you think about the options over there how many i don't i don't know everything about liga and all the finnish players playing in europe but i, I i'd be I, I think you'd be hard pressed to show me six finnish defenders better than him that aren't playing on nhl contracts right now in north america he can go because he's your nhl players in europe players in europe on nhl contracts assigned there are eligible for the olympics for just clarification makes sense makes sense so at this point i feel like it's russia just go out and play Datsuk and Kovalchuk thirty-five minutes a night. Yeah, and well, then and they have, they have uh, me playing and, goalie back there, and that team would still win a gold medal. And they still have, uh, I believe they didn't Gonchar sign in the KHL too. With the uh, with the thought, you mean Gonchar or Markov? Uh, Markov, Markov. Sorry, I think Markov. Did. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said Gonchar. I mean, I have no idea why I said that, but and Markov. Um. Okay, let's uh, let's invite, yeah, let's let's jump into questions. I think we got all right. Yeah, we got a lot, but I think we talked about most of them already. Um, Luke Hudson. It seems like Hitch has fallen in love with Rig. Do you think that pushes out Johns or Honka from the assumed lineup? We kind of touched on that a lot. Yeah, we kind of discussed on that. Just a, just a quick run through. I think right now, if you're picking between Johns and Honka, I'm taking Honka. Next question. Same. Um, let me see if I'm going to try to. 
Hence, likelihood of making it out of training camp. We also kind of discussed that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Definitely the developments on the centers. That's not really a question from Cameron McVeigh. So I'm not really sure how to approach this. Um, is he probably is he talking about what you said? How Hitch said. Now I, I see I, these guys as my centers. Yeah, I think he's talking about that with how. He's talking about how Hitch has gone and said there are Sagan, uh, Sagan, Spezza, um, Hansel, and Fox are his centers. Um, I, I still have a hard time believing one of those guys is your fourth line center. Um, and I think this, I, th- I believe there's another question there, uh, and, we'll, and we'll group this in. I think it was, wasn't there one on someone asking about thoughts on Fox being a fourth line center? Yes, Josh Goral, thoughts on Fox being fourth. Okay, so we'll kind of group those in together. Um, I don't. I, I have a hard time believing one of those guys is actually going to be your fourth line center, just because of the how things are. And I know in, in Hitch even used the word saying, "Oh, your your fourth line has to be specialists and things like that and and stuff like that." But I, I have a hard time believing that you that you you put Fox on the fourth line. I think there's too much. That's. I feel like it's a wasted asset there to do that. I feel like it's using one of those four guys on your fourth line is a wasted asset when Adam Cracknell or Devin Shore. Well, I, I actually would like Devin Shore maybe on the wing a little bit higher in the lineup, just in a perfect world. But um, I, I feel like it's a wasted asset by having by by doing that because I think Foxa is more effective either centering a top line, playing against the top guys' units, something like that. Whether it's with Hansel, without Hansel. Um, not playing with a group where someone else from the outside would look in and be like, well, I don't really uh, trust that group on the ice late in the game. So I, I, I just don't see how they end up with one of those guys actually being the fourth-line center because I feel like it's a with what you need the fourth-line center to typically do, I feel like Adam Cracknell already does that. I feel like some of the other guys do that already. I just... It's, it's what he said, but I, I, I think we'll either see... I think we'll see that Foxa Hansel line together. I think we'll. I think there's a better chance of that happening because they can still be their quote unquote penalty kill specialists. That's why they brought Hansel in. So it's. I, I just don't see. I, I see something else happening. One someone else being the fourth line center, other than one of those four guys who we mentioned as his centers. Yeah, I don't. I think unless you're going to play each of those four guys as centers, fifty exactly fifteen minutes a night. I don't understand why you'd have them all. Right. Which I mean wouldn't be the worst thing in the world but i'd rather play Sagan 22 minutes a night but now we're getting ahead of ourselves um next question shane maddox haven't heard anything on nemeth looking good do you think signs point to alexiak being that other defenseman which is kind of we've we've two separate questions we've we've talked a lot about alexiak already so i'll just pass on that but on nemeth um just nemeth hasn't played Demeth was already always fighting an uphill battle coming into the training camp. Um, frankly, I believe I believe, and there's inklings that the Stars have been would have had hoped to trade him for 18 months now. It seems like, um, and he was always fighting an uphill battle, so he needed to be superb. Like he needed to come in and have a tremendous training camp, and it just he hasn't had what the, he hasn't had the level you need him to reach. Had he come in with a with with a and there was a 
expectation or a, uh, a past history that said he could just be status quo, I think he'd be fine. It's not like he's had a bad training camp, but he needed to have a great training camp, and he's just not had one. Yeah, he's definitely a guy. I agree that you kind of needed him to show you something because he he never really had in the past, so he kind of needed to come out. Yeah. Um, from Justin Schmidt, who is underachieving right now? I like that one. Underachieving right now. Um, like I think the fact that we're talking about Stephen Johns as possibly being on the outside looking in that says that says quite a bit because he's a guy who I think there was a. I think I think you came to the realization during our podcast recording last week that that he might uh, the kind of that wow Johns could be the guy they're looking at not being um, in the opening lineup. I think I think so. I think Johns would technically classify as that, right? I would have to say so because I mean we all just assumed in when they, the, the protection list came out that by virtue of him being protected, that he kind of had the insight. It, it kind of gave him the leg up on everyone else. Yeah. I, I th- so I think, I think you'd have to look at it that way. Um, none of the forwards have been, none of the forwards who you thought would make the NHL team have underachieved. However, I think there's guys who are in that group of that group that were right here and, and could have fought their way into the spot have not done things that, uh, like, for example, we haven't seen much from Jamel Smith. I know he had a nice scrimmage with Justin Dowling and, and Brian playing with Brian Flynn, but and same thing with Brian Flynn, too. He's another guy. Uh, where those are guys who, it's not that they're underachieving because I didn't expect them to make the team, but they aren't, they they weren't, they are, haven't been in the conversation as much as you would have thought they might have been as a group of guys who, and I didn't think Jamel Smith was going to be in the roster conversation either way, but um, they weren't. But you'd maybe you'd like to see uh, a bit more from those guys proving they could make the NHL team, and you just haven't seen some of that. So, uh, but no one on the NHL team has really underachieved because the guys who are the big guns, the guys who you expect to play, they haven't really really asked them to do much. Radulov's only played one preseason game. Ben's only played one preseason game. Spezza's only played one preseason game. Uh, they really haven't had a chance to underachieve much, and uh, even if they did. It's not like it would impact their season. I don't. I mean, Jason Spezza having Jason Spezza, for example, having a bad day at practice is not going to change how his season goes. From Jason, does this team have what it takes to make it out of the Central come May? And what positions might benefit from some help at the trade deadline? I'm kind of going to leave that last part out because I don't think that's something that we're not really going to know until the trade deadline. But I mean, in terms of personnel I, I mean they sure have what it takes to make out make it out of the central but as we saw last year a lot can happen to change that I had a in Traverse City I had a GM from another central division team um and there was actually quite a few up there St. Louis was up there Minnesota was up there um Chicago was up there Dallas was up there um I think that's it for the central division teams but a GM from another central division team um told me that he believed Dallas is the favorite to win the division. That that is, and this was a. He believed Dallas is the favorite to win the division, and uh, just with what the the moves they made, um, with the moves they made and what the pieces they had, he he they he wouldn't be surprised if Dallas. He wouldn't be surprised if Dallas won won the division. He he called them the favorite. Um, so just to if if that's what other hockey people are who are getting paid millions of dollars to know this better than you and I, I think we can 
say that they have enough to win this division, to, to, to win the Central Division. Do I, am I going to go out there and say they're going to win the Central right now? I'm not going to say that because I think we might actually save, you and I, I was, may we haven't planned it yet, but we may be doing a prediction show or a preview show or whatever at some point before the season, so I'll save that for then. But do they have the opportunity and the possibility to win the Central? Yes. I think the only thing that we know about the Central right now is that it's going to be tough as hell this year because other than Colorado, everyone looks pretty decent, at least on paper. And it just, but I mean, you look at it like Chicago's kind of on the downswing, but they still have really good players. And I, I theoretically, I think they could still have one more run in them. Uh, you look at Nashville, we kind of assume they're the cream of the crop of this group, but you know, now Ryan Ellis is going to be out for the first six months or four months or whatever it is of the season. Associate, you know, associate captain Ryan Ellis. Yes, associate captain Ryan Ellis, as opposed to alternate captain Ryan Ellis. Um, I mean, you, you know, Winnipeg could take a step forward this year. You know, they got they got a new goaltender in Steve Mason, so maybe he and they have some good young players on that team. So if they can kind of take, they can follow that track of natural progression. They could be a threat this year. You know, St. Louis is still good. Minnesota's still good, but all these teams have question marks around them. Where it's it, and it's not even like question marks that if you know, the wheels fall off then, because obviously if the wheels fall off, I mean, we saw it last year with Dallas. They went from winning the, having the most points in the in the Western Conference in the regular season to finishing picking, seventh from last in pick, the league. Picking, so, I mean, picking third in the draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, 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 regardless of how good you are, if the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off and you're not going to be good. If, I mean, I, I, you could, certainly make the point that if any team dealt with the type of injuries that Dallas did last year, they would have been garbage too. But I feel like while every, I, I feel like other than Colorado, every team in the central can be really good, but there's also questions with every team that, you know, if this player, or this aspect of their game doesn't quite progress, how we think it could progress, then maybe they're on the outside looking in. And you certainly have those questions with Dallas too. Like if, you know, if Ben Bishop kind of gets dinged up and isn't playing at 100% all year, he misses a couple games, then, well, if Dallas has to rely on Kari Lettinen and Mike McKenna for an extended period of time, then they could be in trouble. Or if, you know, John Klingberg doesn't find his game again, then who's going to put up points on the back end? Or, you know, you look at Minnesota, if Devin Dubnik doesn't play out of his freaking mind for the entire season again. Could they be in trouble? So I, there's just, I feel like every team in the Central has those type of questions around it. So yes, Dallas has the roster that I theoretically should finish top three in the Central. They should not be a wild card team this year. But at the same time, there's, there's just too much variability right now, I would say. One thing that's really interesting in the Central, and I was going through it the other day, um, and Steve Mason's the worst starting goalie in this division. Think about how good the goaltending is in this division. Just just if you look at the starter, in, in theory, how good each, like, okay, if you were to rank, if, if I asked you to rank the top seven goalies in the Central Division based on based on starting goaltending, how would you rank them? Um, Just based on, just based on starting, you'd have Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Then I would say you could go coin flip between St. Louis and, and Chicago. So those I, would be two. I, three I, I, for I me. would give, I would give Corey Crawford the edge just because of playoff experience. But Jake Allen, I, either way, that's two three. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. That's that's and that's certainly fair. Um, after that four, I'd go Dallas with Bishop. Then 
five. Who am I still missing in the central? You have Winnipeg, you have you, you have, Bishop, you have Bishop above Rene. Yeah, I don't think Pecorino. I don't I, think I, Pecor- I, 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 I don't think very highly of Pecorino. He, I mean, he showed a lot in the postseason last year, but he was he's been bad the last three regular seasons. You, you and I have the same opinion of him, so that's why I was kind of poking the bear on purpose there. Um. Yeah, he's just like he got. I mean, he deserves all the credit in the world for what he did in the playoffs last year. But you could also make the argument that if he didn't crap his pants in Game Six, then Nashville might have won the cup. But uh, you just look at. His the way his regular season numbers have progressed the last since he's been their starter, he has been on the downswing. He's a guy who's had hip problems. I just I don't think very highly of Pecorino. And then to finish, I mean, then I think it's a coin flip between Varlamov and Steve Mason. I think Varlamov can be a good goalie, but he's playing behind a young team, and I I also don't think Steve Mason's a great goaltender. I think he so you have Bishop. He's four. one of those guys that can be. But he's yes, I have Bishop four. Okay, and so do you go? Do you have Rene at five then? Yes, so I have Rene then either Varlamov, Mason. You can those they're interchangeable in my mind. Well, and if and if you take Var, I mean, and the other interesting thing is, and I don't know if he could reach that level, but Var, if you can give me Varlamov from two years ago, he's number one. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, if you put if you put Varlamov on the Capitals, say you know maybe my opinion of him is different, but I playing behind that. It's what he's one of those guys that, and that's another reason why I'm not as high on Rene is he struggled in the regular season last year behind that defense. Like if you put Rene on Colorado, ugh. and at the same time, if you put Varlamov on, maybe if you put if you switch Rene and Varlamov, I would be interested to see how perceptions of those two around, around the league would change. I don't I don't want to use the word system goalie because I think that's a bit of a lazy term on some things, but to an extent, Rene is a goalie that has benefited completely off the system. Um, and it's it's uh, and he allows them to play that system a little bit as well. But and he, he deserves some credit for allowing them to play that system. But he has benefited from that. If it's not uh, it's not a situation where uh, he's never been a guy who has he he did five years ago. Okay, he did five years ago. But in the past in the past three or four years, he hasn't been a guy that wins games individual series for you. Five years ago, he was, but not anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he, it's one of those things too that I mean, people. Not that we have a huge outside of Dallas fan listenership, but I feel like people would make the point of pointing to that Chicago series and saying, "Hey, he gave up like three goals in that series. What are you talking about?" But he's a guy who he has the capability to steal you a game, but his baseline is low—not low, but it's not. It's not where you would want it to be for a guy who's supposedly an elite, le- uh, an above average to great level guy. Because saying he's elite is just ridiculous. Yeah. We have any more questions? I think there was one more. Yes, we we do have one more question. Also from Cam McVeigh. Would you rather fight one Roussel-sized duck or ten duck-sized Roussels? I think that's an easy answer for me. I'm I, taking the Roussel sized duck. Yeah, I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting ten, ten duck sized Roussels. I'd, I'd rather fight one Roussel sized duck, because a there's a that duck would just have a beak. It wouldn't have fists. It's just a duck. Unless we're talking like some like uh, anamorphic like mighty ducks like duck from like the cartoon. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, that, I didn't think of that. That yeah. if you're because if it's like I mean you might get pecked a little bit, but. I feel like 
I don't know if that thing comes. Now does now does the Russell size duck fly? If the Russell size duck can fly, that might change my answer a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm taking my chances with the duck. I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting one Antoine Roussel, nonetheless ten of them. Oh, no, matter, no matter uh, what size. No, and he's uh, he's not necessarily a a totally clean fighter either. So you you get ten of those little guys snipping at your ankles. Some funny stuff might happen down there. It's like the uh, which Jurassic Park movie is it where the guy gets like eaten? What's the Jurassic Park movie where the guy gets eaten by the little ones that are about like a foot tall? Like where he's like he runs from the. I'm trying to remember what, what they, I haven't seen. I, I haven't seen Jurassic Park in probably 20 years, so I yeah. will be no help on this. Yeah, but there's one one of the Jurassic Parks, and someone can tell me on on Twitter which one it is. But I can't remember which one where the guy basically gets eaten alive by the little dinosaurs that are all about a foot tall, and he's making fun of them and kicks them and everything like that. And then there's like 20 of them. They swarm him and they eat him alive. Like that's what it would be like. That would not be fun. Exactly. Does that do it for the questions today? That is all the questions. Well, we will, uh, you know what? Next week we will uh, probably, next week we'll be have all of the preseason games out of the way. Maybe we'll have final rosters set. Maybe, perhaps. We'll see. Um, but uh, a lot to watch this week. So, everyone, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk again next week.